Ballistic Sports presents Out of the Park with Barry Davis. Follow Ballistic on Twitter at Ballistic underscore sports. This week, we continue our series focusing on life after baseball. Former Blue Jay and all-star Ricky Romero shares how his short stint in Mexico quickly turned into his swan song. I just packed my, my locker. Uh, I got a cab to, to the border and I just crossed the border. Went to my San Diego apartment, packed everything up, and I said, all right, I'm just going to drive home. I got home, like, at, I don't know, 2, 3 in the morning, and my my wife was asleep. She's like, who is this? I was like, it's me. I was like, it's me, and I was like, I think I'm done. And now a man who has never played baseball in Mexico, but you got to see him crush a burrito. Barry Davis. You know, it's something I'm actually very proud of, Tom. And i got to say, I was a little disappointed in your burrito eating because you are a little bit larger than I am. You're, you're mm-hmm. a bigger fellow than I am. Mm-hmm. And you had like a baby burrito. Yeah, I did. You had like the kid's portion burrito. Yep. And here I was downing this large, regular size, adult size burrito. Mm-hmm. Now, are you supposed to chew it? Oh, you know, I do personally. I know that you don't. I yeah. tried not to judge. Well, I mean, it just seemed like a large pill, right? <laughs> And it's like when I take pills, I just swallow it with water. So I figured, why not do that with the burrito? Yep. See, you may have had the larger burrito, but I had the spicier and more exciting burrito. Oh, so. oh, I see. Mm-hmm. Well, you may be larger than me, but I am more spicy and exciting than you. Ooh. That work for you? <laughs> All right. So this week, folks, we will continue our focus on life after baseball as we speak with another former All-Star and former Blue Jays starting pitcher. Ricky Romero. We had so many people guess Ricky Romero when we had the Steve Delabar picture for some reason. Yeah. That we said, oh, screw it. We'll just get Ricky Romero on the show. <laughs> and uh, we have a lot of fun with Ricky, but we also uh, get into what made him quit baseball, mm-hmm. announce his retirement, and how he's adjusted to life after baseball. It is part one of a two-part conversation with the former Blue Jay. Very deep conversation. Part two, of course, will be available on our members-only show. Uh, we will. Will we have asked Barry Davis? Have you been? Have you been scouring the internet for the? This uh, is something. You know what? That, I've been scouring the internet. Like I pay I, Matt a lot of good money yep. to. Well, no, I didn't pay him anything. But I, I, yep. I didn't pay Matt a lot of good money, and he scoured the Twitterverse to try yep. to find the questions. Yep. Yeah. Right. And if you want to be making as much as I paid Matt, I know you need to get me some questions. I know. You know what? We do have some some great questions that have been coming in from loyal listeners, and and it's a learning curve for me. Um, but I'm getting better at finding the questions on time. I'm, I'm proud of you. I'm <laughs> proud of you. All right. Uh, we may or may not have Asbury Davis. Uh, we forgot to do a poll because again, that's a that was a. I gotta keep remembering the things that I I didn't do that I had to get Matt to do. Yeah. I love you, Tom. I it's just a matter of me remembering to tell you what. what well, to that's do. okay. I mean, you and Matt did this for like years together. Yes, right. Well, he did. Oh yeah, he sucked so bad at the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> just kidding. <laughs> No, he did not. I'm sticking up for the rhythm section right now. I know. I, I, I totally agree. <laughs> All right. Up next, though, uh, baseball is still going on. And uh, in your world, uh, is baseball more entertaining to watch on TV than, say, I don't know, a, a po- political debate? We may get into one of those in a moment. There's Tom Forth on Barry Davis, and you're listening to Out of the Park. Ladies and gentlemen, girls and boys, the first pitch with Barry Davis. I think you should meet 10-second Tom. Ladies and gentlemen, I would like to introduce to you our most distinguished clinical subject, 
Tom. Hi, I'm Tom. Henry. Marlon. Doug. Lucy. Hi. Oh, those are cool flip-flops. Where'd you get them? You like those? It's an interesting story. I was over in the North Door the other day. Hi, I'm I... Tom. Huh? Uh, Henry. Ah, yes. 10-second Tom. We love 10-second Tom. And uh, Tom, actually, we, we are going through a 10-second Tom moment here on the show. Yeah. Because we were recording the first pitch, and after about 10 minutes, I realized that I didn't have your mic turned on. See, I wasn't 10 second, Tom. I was zero decibel, Tom. You were zero decibel, Tom. Yes. So I <laughs> uh, love that character from the movie 50 First Dates. And I got to tell you something. I know when you look at those movies with Drew Barrymore and Adam Sandler and The Wedding Singer is such an iconic movie and everyone loves that one. But they were so good together, they put him in this movie. I love this movie, too. I thought this was a really, really good movie. Yeah, and as you as you saw when I walked in the door and you called me ten second Tom, I had no idea. I what thought you were, you were just doing about. the joke. No, no, I, I I watched the movie once a very long time ago, and you I, are I, not I, a multiple movie guy, are you? What watching movies over and over again? Yeah. Oh, big time I am. Are you? Big time I am. But yeah, you had every but movie ones. I've ever like, I've seen well, the Wedding Singer like fifty times. Okay. Well, yeah. following the recording of tonight's program, Tom and I will be watching the premiere of the new Borat movie. <laughs> so we will definitely have a review for you on next week's show. And Tom, we want to take this time to remind our listeners that we have new partners here at Out of the Park, our pals at Ballistic Sports. And if you're wondering what Ballistic Sports is, uh, they're a really cool company that has created some really neat interactive sports-related board games. And there'll be one for Major League Baseball, there'll be one for the NHL, and one for the NFL. There you go. Right, yeah. <laughs> And basically what you do is while you're watching the game, you predict what's going to happen next in the game. And if you're right, then you move around and you get points and all that kind of stuff. So it's a lot of fun. Great way to enjoy watching a game. And as we said before, if you get this game, say, for Christmas, well, hockey probably wouldn't have started yet. And baseball's done. So how do you play? But there's a cool way to play even without live games going on. Yet there is a simulation mode. So this is a game, I mean, I guess it was designed, obviously, to be played along with sports. But, you know, these are some pretty cool guys that have come up with this pretty cool game. And they thought, let's figure out a way for people to play it at all times. So there is a simulation mode. I can't wait to get my hands on oh one. Oh, my God. Things. We're going to be getting one sent to us hopefully soon. Nice. And, uh, Don, if you're listening, and I know you are listening, we cannot wait for this game because we're going to not only play it on air, but we're going to do some videos so people can see how this game actually works because we want you to have a copy of this game. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, we will get to the point where we may be giving some away here on the show. So that's very cool. All right, let's talk a little baseball and a bunch of little stories going around in the world of baseball. And what would a World Series be without some kind of controversy? And it's so funny because even something that's not really a controversy, people start to wonder what's going on. So and is there some kind of cheating or some, some conspiracy going on? Well, uh, the other day, Justin Turner was spotted with this black stain over the U in his name. So people are wondering, what the hell is going on? Why does Mookie Betts have this big black stain? Justin Turner. Yeah, what did I say? Mookie Betts. No, Mookie Betts did not have it. It was just, Maybe we should have gone with the first take without your mic working. You know what? I think it might have sounded better in the it may, end. It sounded better for both of us. Yep. So, of course, all the conspiracy theories, you know, is he doing something to add pine tar to give him a, some kind of a advantage? You know, was he just, you know, didn't like his name and decided he was going to start scratching it out one letter at a time? 
right? <laughs> but as it turns out, there is just one reason, and it's a pretty simple reason. And this is what Justin Turner said, quote, when I take my practice swings, I try to exaggerate finishing, and my bat comes down over my left shoulder, leaving a pine tar stain. Probably a little bruise underneath that, too, after hitting himself in the shoulder all these times. <laughs> and I feel for those that are in charge of having to clean his jersey. Because I can tell you firsthand that pine tar does not come off very easily. Would you like to hear a little story from my, my days in, in the world of covering sports? Let's hear it. Okay. So I'm just hanging out in the Blue Jays dugout, having a chat with Marco Estrada. Probably about 10, 15 minutes. We weren't, it wasn't an interview. We were just, you know shooting the crap, shooting yeah. the breeze. And as I'm standing there, I'm leaning back against the wall, but it was really a bat rack that I was leaning up against. So I'm kind of sitting on it a little bit. We're having this conversation. And then once the conversation wraps up, I go to get up and I'm kind of stuck to this bat rack. I'm like, what the hell is going on? So I get up, I start walking, and then somebody yells at me from behind. It's like, dude, what happened? Did you poop your pants? I was one of the players, of course, because they like Always to. nice to have someone looking out for you. And I'm like, what are you talking about? So look at the ass of your pants. I'm like, well, first of all, I can't see the ass of my pants. So I'm trying to turn around and look at it. And sure enough, there is this huge glob of pine tar on the butt of my pants. Mm. And, you know, so I started trying to, you know, go to the bathroom, get up like a paper towel and try to run. And it's like, it's not coming out, man. It's not coming out. It's just getting worse. I'm spreading it. <laughs> so what am I going to do? Well, one of the nice things about the ballpark in Arlington, which is no longer there, rest in peace, ballpark in Arlington, yeah. where the visiting clubhouse is, as soon as you walk in those doors, it's the big laundry room where the players' uniforms are cleaned, right? Mm -hmm. So thankfully, the clubhouse attendant, that was... Now, what happens, just so people know, um, teams don't usually bring their own clubhouse attendants. It's people that actually work there at the stadium, and they're hired, and they you do the visiting clubhouse, mm -hmm. right? And you know, they make a lot of money off tips if players are rich, by the way. So the guy there said, yeah, I can, I can help you. I can take care of this and, and get it fixed up for you. I said, oh, thank God. How long will it take? He said, well, a good 45 minutes or so. I said, oh, no, i got to be back on the field in 15 minutes. He goes, uh, I don't know what to tell you. You can go out like this or you can wait. And then one of the guys who works for the Blue Jays, equipment manager, Kevin Malloy, said, hey, hey, come here. I can help you out. I'm like, oh, thank God. <laughs> I'm thinking he's going to give me a pair of baseball pants, right? Yeah. No, no. He goes, I got a pair of sweats you can wear. These are my sweats. You can wear them. I don't know if he'd been wearing them before or whatever. So thank God. So I put on this pair of sweats, which are not only three or four inches too long for me, but they're also too big in the waist. Thankfully, they had the drawstring. So I, I'm wearing this really casual pair of sweatpants mm -hmm. that's below i've got my suit and tie shirt jacket combination up top and my real expensive shoes down below see that's classy and comfort yes it's kind of like the mullet all mm. business up front rock Part and roll in the back yep. right yep so I go out on the field to do my do my TV hits with this look, and I knew people were going to laugh at me, make fun of me, but what are you going to do, right? So I finish that. I go back into the clubhouse. They give me my, my pants. The stain wasn't out completely, but it was, you know, most, I mean, that stuff is pretty, pretty potent yeah. stuff they use. But unlike a, you know, baseball pants, you can't scrub with the material that my pants were. You should probably scrub right through the material because yep. I like to wear thin pants, you know. Oh, yeah. Especially yeah. in the summer, well, the heat in Texas, right? So 
and here's the thing. I know that Marco Estrada knew the entire time that, that I was leaning against this. And Ricky Romero, if you're listening, you, you'll know that there's no way that that Marco or Ricky or any ball player would have stopped me and said, hey, whoa, 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 don't lean against that. You're going to get pine tar in your pants. <laughs> right? No. So there's my pine tar story. Hard times. Yeah. Hard times. Do you guys ever have practical jokes or craziness going on in your restaurant business? Oh, yeah, for sure. We're, By the way, folks, Tom managed restaurants for many years. Yeah, people in restaurants are way crueler than baseball. Way baseball. cooler? Crueler. Okay. Like, They're not, they can't be cooler. Well, there's like the pickle game. And it's the kind of the pickle yeah, game. The pickle game. So what you would do is you'd if you're a server or a bartender at front, the game was to get a pickle slice on the shoulder of another server, preferably as they were serving other guests. So if you did it right, they wouldn't notice. Oh my and god. And the pickle would just sit there on their shoulder and it eventually soak through their whole shirt. Uh, you know what? They I would have known because the smell of a pickle makes me literally gag. If you ever want to see me throw up. But think about it. You're in a restaurant. There's food smells everywhere. I guess. You're moving fast. You are you don't feel just, a, you know, someone taps you on the on the back and mm-hmm. you don't feel it until, yeah. And so by the time someone mentions it to you, it's usually one of your guests that do, and you stink the rest of the day. So might not be as sticky as pine tar, but yeah. <laughs> Let me ask you this. You were in the restaurant business a long time. Mm-hmm. Is there anything to the the myth, maybe it is a myth, that... If somebody sends their food back, mm. the chef will be so insulted they'd spit on it? No, okay. Um, none of the restaurants I ever worked at. Um, not in any way, shape, or form. And I was in restaurants in and around the time that movie Waiting with Ryan Reynolds came out. And that was a big thing in that movie at the time was them messing yeah. with their guests' food. Um, and maybe it's because I only I tended to work at really high volume restaurants. There's always lots of people around. Maybe it's because we're in Canada. Um, Canadians but, are nicer. Is that what you're saying? Um, yeah. Okay. Yeah, but uh, you know, first and foremost, it, when you're in a busy restaurant and a dish comes back, the cook generally doesn't even know. You know, uh, if it's a something needs to be fixed up mm-hmm. on a meal, then yes, right? Or like a cook up, like the steak was underdone and you've got to, you know, throw it back on the grill, heaven forbid, for a couple minutes to get it where it needs to be. But if it's like a, a recook, the cook doesn't know. It's just an, a new order for him. If, so. I, if, if I got a burger brought out to me and it had, say, mustard on it and i mm. can't eat mustard and i said i hate mustard i didn't i asked i said no mustard yeah. specifically said more mu- no mustard would they take the burger scrape the mustard off put it back on the grill and put it back on a, a fresh bun you know what in around 2003 when i started in restaurants they yeah. might have bastards in 2015 or 2016 yeah. when, when i got out of restaurants there's no way okay um allergies Again, I remember working in restaurants when the first person that I served, uh, before I was a manager even, uh, came up and told me about this weird thing, uh, the condition that she had called celiac disease. I know that. Everybody knows that now. I worked in restaurants. You know, most restaurants have a, a gluten-free menu now. Mm-hmm. But I can remember where like, we didn't even know what that was. See, when I go into restaurants, I say, what do you do with all the gluten that you take out for people that are gluten-free? Because I'd like that. I just want to know, just give me an order of gluten, a side of gluten. Oh, it's just like a bun. Love gluten. Gluten is great. Yes. You know? All the bad things are, right? Yeah. You got time for another uh, practical joke story or crazy story? All right. Okay, because um, this goes back to my days, again, with the Blue Jays, and um, I like sharing these stories. I hope people listening enjoy them. One day, I'm, I'm actually going to put them into a book, 
I'm in the process of trying to put some things down to paper. I've got some stuff written, and uh, our good friend Perry Lefko is actually going to help me put this thing together. Nice. So it's uh, I need a kick in the in the butt. Well, this is how you start. You know what? You're sharing your stories here. Yes. And it's the perfect form. Somebody form. needs to kick me right in the pine tar spot, right? <laughs> so. This was at the end of the 2015 regular season when the Blue Jays were in Baltimore and ended up clinching uh, their their spot in the ALDS. And it was a huge night, big celebration in the clubhouse, the champagne and everything flowing. And I think many have probably seen the video of me being dunked into the big laundry bin that was full of ice and water and champagne and beer and the whole bit. Mm -hmm. So I'm in there for a good part of time. Uh, I know Latroy Hawkins tried to save me because he thought I was going to get electrocuted in there because I had all my gear hooked up, my live TV gear. <laughs> but I get out of there, and I am just drenched, completely drenched. And I have so much work to do still in so many interviews. Every time I took a step, you can hear that, right? And I'm oh, like, these are expensive yeah. shoes. So I had to get rid of the shoes, get rid of the socks, and I'm doing the rest of the interviews like barefoot. And the night comes to an end. And I'm gathering my stuff, and I'm like, okay, where's my shoes? I put them right here. And I'm looking all over the place. I have no idea where they are. I you know, thought maybe they'd be in the, the water tank, but they weren't in there. All the players are pretty much gone. There's just a couple of clubhouse attendants there. And I asked them, and they said they had no idea. They hadn't seen them. So finally, after digging through pretty much everything, I saw this garbage can by the door, and I dumped it out, and sure enough, my shoes were in the bottom of that garbage can. And as I'm grabbing them, I hear a little snickering coming from back in a corridor. And it was one of the players, and I'm sure it was the one who did it. <laughs> and I have no, no substantial proof on who it is, nothing concrete, but it was Mark Burley. I guarantee <laughs> it was Mark Burley who did it. And he thought it was the most funny thing that he's ever done in his life. And I was very drenched. Wow. Yeah. That's still a nicer treatment than you get in a restaurant. Really? Yeah, you see, because if, if if someone gets your shoes or your clothes in a restaurant and they decide to play a practical joke... They put them in the oven? No, they put them in the freezer. Oh, okay. So if it's if it's like a quick thing, you know, you can flash freeze a pair of shoes pretty quickly in a, in a deep freeze. You okay. Know? But if you've got... Does it take the, scent, the stink out of the shoe? No, oh. no, no, no. Okay. You know, they still haven't Maybe invented... Deep frying them that, would yeah. be good. Battered well, and deep fried. That hey. might work, right? I'll bet you somewhere in Scotland someone's tried that. Possibly. <laughs> All right, let's get back to baseball now. Yep. And the Boston Red Sox have been interviewing candidates for their new manager. And I'm looking at the name of all these candidates that have been interviewing them, and these are all guys who have never been managers before. Most of them are bench coaches or third-base coaches. And it made me think, wouldn't it be interesting and funny if they gave John Gibbons a call and they hired John Gibbons. Because John Gibbons got his last job with the Blue Jays mm -hmm. because John Farrell left to take his dream job managing the Red Sox. <laughs> Every Blue Jay fan remembers that. Yes. So would it be John Gibbons' dream job? And this is, I mean, if he got the gig, I'd seriously, I would want him to, at the very first thing in his welcome aboard media conference to say, I'm really glad to be here. This has been my dream job my whole life. <laughs> I'd love to hear him say that. Uh, you know what? I don't think after how Farrell's tenure in Boston went, I don't think any manager is going to say that after <laughs> upon getting hired. Yeah, I probably probably not. Baseball is a superstitious sort of... <laughs> it is. It is. But uh, wouldn't that be something if, if John Gibbons got the call for that? And we, we'll, we'll try to get Gibby on uh, for life after baseball for, for a couple of reasons. Uh, number one is that, you know, 
he's a great guy to chat with, but we could talk to him about life after baseball as a player, life after baseball as a manager, twice because mm-hmm. he had the first stint with the Blue Jays. I think that'd be a real cool guy to talk to. And it, it, for those of you listening, if there's a former Blue Jay that you would like to hear on this series of Life After Baseball, uh, hit us up on social media and we'll do our best to to get that player. Yeah, Gibby's definitely up there for Gibby's me. Gibby's definitely up to, there. To this day, he was the only manager that I would wait and watch the yeah. post-game pressers for it religiously. Oh, yeah, of course. Uh, next week, we're planning to have J.P. Aaron C.B. on the show. So uh, just uh, mark your calendars accordingly. Mm-hmm. Major League Baseball also announced their candidates for gold gloves. And scrolling down the list, uh, you know, a lot of names, no no big surprises. But one thing that really stood out was there was one Blue Jay that gets a nod for a gold glove candidate. And it was not the Blue Jay I ever expected. No, this one really came out of left field. Ah, clever. Uh. (laughs) Did you do that on purpose? Yes, I did. Uh, Lourdes Goriel Jr., is up for a gold glove along with Alex Gordon and Kyle Tucker for left field. And, I mean, good for Lord Scoriel. And I, he, he did a great job, but, I mean, it's just strange because it never would, never would have stood out. It's going, oh, wow, yeah, yeah. And I know, I mean, Kevin Pillar spent some time with the Red Sox this year. Uh, not, mm-hmm. But I don't see him uh, as a candidate in center field this year. Also, I don't see uh, Kiermaier, who really? won, it, won it year after year after year. Right, he's not yeah. in it either. The center field candidates uh, this year for Gold Glove are uh, Louis Robert or Louis Robert. I like to call him Louis Robert. Ramon like Loriano and Brian Buxton. So uh, no Kevin Pillar either. By the way, uh, Lourdes Goriel Jr. One of two Guriels up for a Gold Glove. His brother's up for a Gold Glove as well. Wow. Yeah. Wouldn't that be something if Yuli and Lourdes? We're gold glove winners. Have a big family party. Yeah. All right. And before we uh, wrap up this segment, uh, another baseball note. Major League Baseball deciding on what they're going to do next year for rule changes and stuff. And it sounds like they're pretty, pretty hot on keeping the expanded playoff format. Mm-hmm. I love this idea. You? Yeah. It's been, it, yeah. It, more playoffs equals better. It's it it makes regular season games like it it, it puts energy into the entire season, especially right. such a long season. Right, because the way it used to be. Look, listen, I I'm old enough to remember when it was literally four teams. Yep, you know, two American League, two National League team, and most years by July, you knew you knew there was no chance my team's going to make the playoffs, especially if there was a team. There was a year where the Tigers just were on a tear right out of the gate. Then you know, wire to wire. And the Jays didn't stand a chance. There was no way. They had a good year, but there's no way they were going to catch them. Yep. Now, you know, the add-in, the the wild cards, and that, you know, that's great, but I, I love expanding it a little bit more. Yeah. Think about how exciting it gets towards the end of the season, and uh, maybe this is just something that I love, but, you know, they get the playoff uh, you know, the forms up on on mm-hmm. the on the broadcasts, and yep. you see, you know, if this if this team wins and this team loses, and they, you know, it's like, it's like tic tac toe and bingo, and it's fun, it's engaging. There's more to root for, right? There's more possible outcomes, and that's more excitement. Absolutely. The other one is possibly continuing on with the extra innings, starting a runner at second base. Yep. You? Nope. Nope. For me either. Nope. Don't like this one. Have not liked this one from the get-go. Call me old traditionalist, curmudgeon-y old guy, but I I just don't like it. I'm not a big fan. I prefer, you know, I prefer the longer extra innings. I prefer 
I would prefer them running out of pitchers and having to throw a third baseman up there to to throw some pitches. I, I would like a wacky game in that regards rather than, yeah, a shorter game with, you know, f- free runners. But just, right. yeah. I agree. All right. So we have no questions for Asbury Davis this week, but we would like to encourage our listeners to do it. Now, you can ask me anything. You can ask me uh, about what I think about the Blue Jays. You can ask me what I think about what's going on in baseball this year. You can ask me something personal. Ask me about a story to tell about something from my days covering the Jays. Mm-hmm. You can ask me something personal. How okay. tall am I? Re- I used to get that all the time when I was working tea. How tall are you? How tall? Are you really that short or is Justin <laughs> Smoke really that tall? And I would say something like, oh, no, Justin Smoke's really that tall. He's seven foot seven. Wow. All right. So I'm actually six feet tall, but Justin's just that much taller than I am. So that's why it seems that way. <laughs> so, yeah, um, please submit your questions. Tom, Yeah. how do they go about doing that? On Twitter, use the hashtag AskBarryDavis. You can go to Patreon.com. Patreon. Patreon.com <laughs> slash Out of the Park. And also back in the Twitter sphere, you can send them to me directly at at fourth underscore Thomas or to Barry directly at at BarryDavis underscore. Okay, so no questions for me this week, Tom. But, uh, hey, you know what? Maybe somewhere down the line we can get people to start submitting questions to the person we're about to hear from next. Foundation Physiotherapy presents The Medical Room. We are here at Foundation Physiotherapy with our good pal Raj Sapaya. And, Raj, now that a lot of people are back to work right now and the clinic is probably seeing more and more people, are you seeing kind of a trend of the same types of injuries and soreness and pains from the fact that so many people have been laid up for so long? Yeah, yeah, I mean, we're seeing, we're seeing a lot of people coming back in, into the clinic probably because they're more comfortable with coming back. And secondly, they're, they're getting a bit more active and, 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 you know, also all that sitting over the quarantine was kind of rough on our body. So, you know, it's nice to have people moving again. People are going back to the gyms in certain mm-hmm. places and that means people are lifting weights. Now, if you haven't lifted weights in a long time, Say like me, you can bench press 350 pounds and you haven't done it in about three or four months. You go there, you get your 350 pounds. Normally you'd just be like, you know, pinky fingers up easy, <laughs> right? I'm kidding, of course, it's 375 pounds. Yeah, but yeah. you lift and then you feel something either in your chest muscle or your arm muscle and you know you pulled something. Yeah. So what exactly is going on, first of all, when you pull a muscle like that? Yeah, so um, it's, it's all about doing too much too soon. Right? It's like taking a car that's been in the garage for a year. And you don't and start then, it. And then, trying to, then it's starting and trying to floor, mm-hmm. floor, right? Um, and, and do you expect it's going to work fully? Well, no. We think our bodies are, our bodies are resilient. They're great, right? Um, however, if there has been a certain period of inactivity, and then we try to do something that's excessively beyond our functional limits, it will cause a strain. And we happen to think that nothing happens while we're inactive, but weakness is a progression so our muscles if we're not strengthening our muscles we're not strengthening our muscles they're actually just getting weak they don't just stay strong unless we constantly train them right um so unless we're strengthening our muscles throughout and we just try to do something quickly like lift a lot of weight quickly those muscles are not going to be happy with us now when you are lifting weights generally speaking you are creating a certain amount of tear and then when the tear heals it's where you get your your extra bulk correct but the difference between that type of tear and what would happen if you overdo it? Is that tearing it too much or is that a totally different thing, as you said, a strain or a sprain? Yeah, it, it depends on the, it, on the like, intensity of it, right? 
Um, it, it, most times that we'll see people that go to the gym and they're doing something that they used to be doing, I'm not going to say it's a tear. It's probably a strain. Mm -hmm. It's like waking up a kid that's been sleeping, a teenager that's been sleeping for 15 hours trying to get him to go to school, right? They're not going to be happy. Nope. Right? <laughs> you probably know that. Better, oh, yeah. Right? So it's the same sort of thing, right? A muscle tear is going to happen when you try to do something way beyond. So if you've never lifted 300 pounds, you know, if your normal was 100 and then you took a break and then you try to go lift 300, then, you know, be prepared for a tear. But if you've had a period of inactivity and try to go back to do something you used to do, you're likely going to feel a strain. And my advice to you, if you feel a strain, is relax on what you're doing. Maybe drop the weights a little bit, right? All right, I can do that. Stretch it out, yeah. right? Stretch out whatever muscle is there. Do another exercise, and then try to get back at it in a few days. And if not, then you should call your physiotherapist. Now, we have talked about the stretching out part before, but I don't think we can overemphasize how important that is when you do have any kind of a muscle strain, Raj, because I think many people will say, well, it, it hurts to stretch it because it's in so much pain. Mm. Is it a situation where you only stretch to the point where you can't bear it, or is there kind of like an in-between part there? There's an in-between. We don't want to be going, I, I usually tell my patients, like three to four out of 10. You can probably tolerate that, right? Mm -hmm. So you, wanna, you don't want to feel like it's ripping, it's burning, you don't want to feel that. That's like a seven, eight, nine, ten. You want to get into a period, like, like, like an area of discomfort, mm -hmm. like if I'm stretching my pecs, this is not a stretch because it feels normal. Right. But once I get here and it's like, oh yeah, if I hold that for 10 seconds, that's going to be uncomfortable. Right. That's what I want to feel. But if I keep pulling and it starts to feel like it's going to fall, no, I don't want to do that. But what happens, everybody, what happens very is I can improve my tolerance the more I go. So if I'm at three out of four discomfort here for the, one, for the first week, my body's going to get used to that. Then I should be able to stretch more the week after. And that's how we can build up our load and increase our, our flexibility. Well, I'm going to end by making a confession. I cannot, in fact, bench press 350 or 375 pounds. No. I thought you were, I thought you were trying to say pennies there. No. I can, in <laughs> fact, bench press 325 pounds. And I'm going to show you right now by bench pressing Raj Sapaya, who weighs about that, right? Yeah. There is Raj Sapaya. We're here at Foundation Physiotherapy. All muscle. All Out of the Park presents Ask Barry Davis. We do not uh, have any questions this week, as I said, so we are going to get right into it. So when we return, we're going to hear from Mr. Ricky Romero as we look back on life after baseball. There's Tom Forth on Barry Davis, and this is Out of the Park. Hello, Sam. Oh, Lucy, you're so fine. You're so fine. You blow my mind. Hey, Lucy. Hey, Lucy. Oh, Ricky, you're so fine. You play your bongos all the time. Hey, Ricky. Hey, Ricky. Oh, Lucy, you're so fine. How I love to hear you whine. Hey, Lucy. You know, Tom Ford, here I am thinking that you're a music aficionado and you've never heard Weird Al's version of Ricky. I never have. Really? But, and I'm a huge Weird Al fan. Though. Yeah? Yeah. Um, now that's what I call poker. I've seen Weird, I've seen Weird Al in concert. Oh, I would love to see that show. Didn't I tell you this story? Was it my honeymoon? 
in yeah, Las Vegas. Yeah, that's right. You did. Yep. Yep. He puts on one hell of a show. Yep. He has a great band. And yeah, I, I was always into parody songs, as many would know from some of my feeble attempts at parody songs yeah. over the years, like the, uh, the Joe Biagini song. not so feeble, man. Oh, wow. Well, some good tunes there. Very, very, very nice of you. But uh, anyhow, so Ricky Romero was a Toronto Blue Jay. And it's so funny when you look at how long he was a Blue Jay for, mm-hmm. you don't realize. Same with like a guy like Roberto Alomar. You think he was a Blue Jay forever, but he was only a Blue Jay for five years. Yeah. You know what yeah. I mean? And Ricky Romero, his stint with the Blue Jays was not a very long one. Yeah, he was only in the organization or big league organization for five seasons with the Toronto Blue Jays. Now, you know, he was drafted by the Blue Jays and spent all his minor league time with the Toronto Blue Jays. You know what? In fact, he was drafted by the Boston Red Sox in 2002 and then went back to school and was drafted again by the Mm -hmm. Toronto Blue Jays in the first round, six overall in 2005. Mm -hmm. And... uh, you look at his overall numbers, and the the thing that sticks out for me was his 2010 season. He goes 14 and nine with a 3.73 ERA, and you knew he was on the verge of something big. And then the very next year, he's an All Star. He's 15 and 11, 2.92 ERA, just just a phenomenal year. 225 innings pitched. Yep. A number again. I, we've talked about this before. You'll never see it again. Yeah, no, exactly. And then the following year, I remember 2012 really well because he came out of the gate on fire. I believe he was 8-1 and one at one point. Yeah, right up to the All-Star game. And then and then yeah. things started to fall for him, and he started to suffer from some injuries. And uh, then 2013, he was only up for a brief stint and then was signed by Baltimore, I think, for a bit. And then uh, at the very end of his career, uh, he had an opportunity – uh, with the San Francisco Giants, but never mm-hmm. never got in. And Ricky will talk a little bit about that. But when you look at it, it's hard to believe it was only parts of five seasons that Ricky Romero was in the major leagues. But he made a huge impact on this city and in the organization, not only for his pitching, but for just the type of human being he is. And we're going to get deep into the moment that Ricky Romero decided that he was going to quit baseball. And I shouldn't say quit. I say retire from step baseball. Away. Step, step away, away from baseball. And also what his life was like after that and what became of Ricky Romero. As we get into part two in our series of Life After Baseball, here's former Blue Jay, Ricky Romero. Well, this gentleman was a Toronto Blue Jay for a few years. He went to the All-Star Game, had a wonderful career, and most recently was kind of joining the media game. And we haven't heard a Ricky Romero podcast in a long time. And, Ricky, my, my theory was that um, maybe your mom heard all the potty mouth coming out of you and you've been grounded and sent to your room for the last several months. Who knew that, that those words actually could come out of your mouth as often as they did? <laughs> Man, I was just, you know what? I just pretended that uh, there wasn't a mic in front of me. Obviously, you... you uh, got to be careful with some of the stuff that you say but i was i think i was being me more than anything and i was being real and i wanted the guys to feel comfortable too and in, 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 in them being real and you know i the funny story about you know when we did cc sabathia's podcast the first thing he told me he's like hey can we cuss and i was like hell yeah man it, the, the, the mic is all yours and he started laughing right away he's like okay i, I i'm in my comfort zone and i think that's what it kind of that's kind of the same thing about me. I was in my comfort zone, you know, when I was around these guys and, and 
and that's why it made it easier for me to just you know i'm not trying to say bad words it's just they sometimes came out you know <laughs> well and then and i feel very honored ricky because i heard your your curse words directed at me for the first time when i got drilled by a line drive from ichiro and that was the day that rajay davis made that big catch and i had to go interview him and you see me out there with this big wrap on my arm of ice. And a few of those words came out as you were making fun of me. So I, I just felt honored that now I, that you felt close enough to me that you could say that. <laughs> of course, man. Yeah. No, that, you know what, one of, one of the uh, neat things about uh, playing in Toronto, and even though it wasn't a, a, a long stint, like I wanted it to be, uh, it was the relationship I made with some of you guys, you know, from the members of the media. Um, and, you know, some I still keep in touch with nowadays. And, and it's always like, you know, to me, that's special. You know, I, one thing is having a relationship with the guys in that clubhouse, which I still do, but it's like the, the impact that, you know, or the impression that you left on, on guys like you, you know, and, and other members of the media. So it's always cool when I go back and, you know, and it's always a, a, a hello, how you doing? And, you know, and we strike a conversation again, like, like back in the old days. So it's always a good thing. You know what? And then one of the things I always try to do with players is not always approach them with a microphone in hand and start pounding them with questions about how they played. It would be just going up and just talking to you like a human being. And I think when, when, and I'm not a player, but I'm thinking from a player's perspective, when you see somebody coming to you, not looking for a scoop, but just looking to chat as a human being, you gain that more respect for them. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's true. I mean, I think as athletes, as a former athlete, um, you kind of want to be viewed as that, right? Just a normal human being. Obviously, we, we're we not normal in the sense that, we, that we're that we out on, on TV, you know, and, and we're uh, public figures, you know. Mm. But when you, when you share the same clubhouse and you guys are in there every day or you were, you know. Until they kicked me out, yeah. See you guys, <laughs> we see you guys every single day. And I mean, why not strike a conversation about something other than baseball? And I think that's always, you know, when, when you're able to do that, I mean, one, you build comfort around the guy, the guys trust you. And, um, and I always say it, you know, the, the media, whether they write good things or say good things or bad things about you, they still have a job to do. And I, for me, I, I never took it personal. It was never one of those things where, you know, oh, screw that guy for, for what he wrote or for what he said. It was just, you know, obviously it's tough to hear it because, uh, you know, nobody wants to hear bad things said about about uh, us, but you know, it's it's it comes with the territory, and it's just learning how to deal with it. And um, and I think I did a pretty good job at that. You know, it, it's funny, Ricky. You you probably don't remember this, but about a year ago, uh, I actually had the 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 opportunity to meet you. Uh, mm -hmm. We were at a baseball game, and you were doing an event with Heinz Foods. Okay, and. I was there with a buddy of mine, just kind of showing him around the dome, and and we were we were up there at the, uh, at the, uh, I guess the sky deck or whatever, deck, yeah, yeah, whatever they call that. And my my buddy was wearing a shirt I'd got for him a couple of years earlier, and uh, we got a tap from behind by these guys from Heinz, and they said, "Excuse me, uh, Mr. Romero's right up upstairs. Would you like to come meet him?" Um, my buddy was wearing a Romero jersey that I had bought for him, and so you did sell a couple, Ricky. Oh, I would hope. 
the one thing, you know, the one thing that really struck me, you know, it was obviously a big event, lots of people there, um, was was how warm and and how forthright and and just approachable you were. Uh, I, I'm sure you probably don't remember. You have lots of talks, but we had a, we had a fantastic talk, and you talked about your time in Toronto, and you talked about how much you loved the city. And it, she, you should have dropped my name, Tom. I think I did. Then Rick would have, Ricky yeah. would have just said, oh, no, I don't want to talk to you. I think I did. That's when he asked me to leave. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think I do remember the time, though. I think I, I, it's coming back. Yeah, I, it's it's funny because it, it really struck me. I, I, I've had, you know, lots of, in, you know, interactions with different baseball players and situations like that. And you singularly really reached out with, you just seemed really honest and really authentic. And, you know, listening to your podcast and becoming a fan of that, um, it's amazing to see that same authenticity and that same forthrightness that, that you gave just a, a fan in, in the middle of a baseball game. You seem to be able to do such a great job of pulling it out of other players. Oh, well, thank you very much. That that means a lot. And, you know, and I think that goes back to just what my parents taught me at a young age, right? I mean, I was taught to always just treat everyone with respect. Um, and I never really, even in the big leagues uh, during my time there, I never felt like I was over anybody or better than anybody else. You know, I just, you know, like I said, you're a public figure, you're on TV and all that stuff. You're making lots of money. Uh, but that that wasn't defining me, you know, Uh hearing stories like that from you is what defines me i feel like you know a good person somebody that's down to earth somebody that's easy to uh, have a conversation with and 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 is respectful and i think to me that goes above and beyond everything else and you know that's some of the things that i try and install in my kids i i'm my i mean my five-year-old i mean he's still too young but i still let him know every day you know he, he as a matter of fact this morning he, on the way to school he asked me he's like daddy what's the most important thing in in this world and i was like well i was like you really want to know and and he's like i was like you treat people with respect you respect women you respect everyone around you and you always treat somebody how you want to be treated and he's kind of looking at me like no that's not that's not what i wanted to hear that. like what's the most important thing <laughs> so we were kind of laughing and i just kept telling him like you know, be respectful, you know, always be respectful. When, when you walk into that school, it's always, how, you, how are you guys doing? Good morning. I'm good. Thank you. And, you know, my wife does a pretty good job, too, of, of, of installing those those morals in him, you know, speak, making sure you say please, thank you, and all the good stuff. Because when he's around other people, we want him to be respectful like that. And I, like I said, that goes, to me, that goes a long way. And that's kind of the the, the model that I try to, to be, um, you know, whether I was in uniform or out of uniform. You know, Ricky, the, the focus of this series that we're doing right now on the show is is life after baseball. And for many people that get caught up in the fame and the fortune and the ego of it, I would think it's a lot harder to step away from it than someone that has a grasp on reality like yourself. That's not to say it wasn't a difficult adjustment. Do you? Th but do you think that when you think of where you are now and how happy you are in your life, that a lot of that has to do with the fact that you weren't so full of yourself that you're like sitting there saying, well, why doesn't anybody love me anymore? Why am I not getting the attention anymore? Where's my million dollars a year nowadays? Do you think that has a lot to do with being able to adjust as well as you have? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, I always kept, kept the perspective, you know, uh, in life. And, and I knew that baseball was going to, 
wasn't going to last forever. And, and I, again, nobody can prepare you for it once you retire because I'm living, living it now. And it's not, it's, it's, it's not easy being home after being on a schedule pretty much your whole life and, and knowing what to do and the routine. Now I'm adjusting to a different routine, taking my son to school, et cetera, et cetera, and trying to find a job and trying to, you know, trying to maybe get back into baseball. So there's, those, there's all those things. And for me, like I said, I always kept the perspective though that, you know, it wasn't going to last forever. And that's why I had so much fun doing it and, and, and enjoyed it so much. And I loved it. And I never, never took it for granted when I was in the big leagues. And towards the end of my career, when it, it didn't go my way, it was, it was, it wasn't easy, but at the same time, I was grateful. I was like, all right, I still get to put on a uniform. I'm going to come out here and I'm going to have fun and, and be around the guys. And cause again, I kept it in perspective. This ain't going to last forever. And, and we, we play baseball for such a short span of our lifetime that, you know, I always said it, once I retire, I have a whole life to live, you know, and, and now with kids and, and all that good stuff, you know, it's just, it was easy for me to kind of transition in, in, in that aspect, you know, as far as the other aspect of, you know, not being in a routine, that's another thing, that's another like story of having to adjust to. But, you know, I think now being removed from the game for the past what is it three two three years it's it's kind of you know it's i'm kind of just sitting here like okay what is it that i want to do and obviously that's that's not easy no one can prepare you for that (laughs) is there anything in particular you miss about the game uh yes i miss the competition 100 percent um and I remember uh, I was sitting with one of the clubhouse attendants in Toronto when Vladdy Jr. made his debut. And uh, we were sitting in the dugout, and I remember talking, we were talking, and he asked me that same question. And I, he's like, do you miss it? And I was like, I miss that over there. You know, the, the, the stretching, the warming up, you know, and being around the guys, the competition. I don't miss the preparation so much, the having to wake up, uh, go to the weight room, do your running and do the study. I don't miss that part. You know, mm-hmm. I miss the competition of just being on that mound at the Rogers Center, um, <clears throat> you know, opening days, uh, you know, the, the two that I got to throw in, one at the Rogers Center, one in Cleveland. And, you know, the Canada days, that stuff you you miss when you watch it on TV. And, um, yeah, I mean, it, that's, that's the part that I miss most. And the question is, how do you fill that void? And I remember having Ari Dickey on the show a couple of years ago and he started playing, you know, a pickup men's league basketball game and he's very competitive. Last week we spoke to Steve Delabar and he started a landscaping company and now he's like, every time he does a job, it's a matter of, well, can I do a better job? Is the guy up the street doing a better job? So that kind of raises that competitive edge and how he can get that out of him. And, you know, Steve, that's, that's kind of the way he is. But what did you do to fill the void? Was there anything that you could do to keep that competitive fire going for you? Uh, I haven't found it yet. I mean, I, I guess other than being the best dad I can be is, you know, what drives me every day and waking up and, and I still go to the gym every day, you know, I mean, but the, the one thing that's driving me right now and that I've been getting into is golf. And, oh, wow. Just and, now. And, and yeah, yeah. And, and it's funny. I get the same reaction from everyone. They're like, but you were in the big leagues and you're a pitcher. I was like, I hated golf. I hated it. I was what? like, what the hell are you guys doing waking up early on days <laughs> off to go play golf? Like, you guys are crazy. You guys are stupid. <laughs> so now I'm the one that, you know, oh, yeah, 6.30 a.m. tea time, I'm up. I'll, I'll go. 7 a.m., oh, yeah, I'll go. 
you know, so, um, so I'm that guy now and, and, and I'm taking lessons. And so these guys are like, Oh, you're serious. I'm like, of course I'm serious. I'm tired of sucking. You know, I'm tired of like, this is like, I was used to being, having, playing a sport that I knew exactly what to do. And, and, and I, and I've been playing it my whole life. Now this golf game has, has kind of taken over and it's like, uh, okay, like I can go and shoot an 86 and then I go and shoot a 97 the, the next day, you know? So it's like, it's, it, it humbles you. And it just, it honestly, it just keeps, it, it drives me. And, and, and whenever I get a chance to go get a lesson, I do. And, and then I try it and apply it and it doesn't always work out, but I'm, I'm definitely, uh, keeping it as competitive as I can. If you're playing around and you hit like a bunch of really bad shots, do you ever have this vision of looking over your shoulder and seeing Gibby stumbling out towards you to pull you out of the out of the course? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm more uh, slamming a club to the ground Atta or boy. rather asking something. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I love to see. Do you do you fight slices or hooks in your swing? Uh, me, I hook, I hook big time. Yeah. And are you a lefty? Yes. Do you play lefty golf? I'm, no, I play right-handed. Oh. Yeah. Wow. You're you're the so opposite of just, me. I throw right and golf left. Really? Yeah, yeah, I just I mean, I hit right-handed. Uh so yeah, I just you know, when I picked up a golf club, it was just right-handed. So um um but yeah, I I I, I tend to hook a lot, you know, and I'm the the guy that I'm taking a lesson with is trying to get me to play a draw and you know, I do it so well with him and, you know, you're shooting it into a screen also. So it just doesn't, ta- I feel like there's nothing like actually going out on a golf course and actually trying to do it. Mm-hmm. And when I get out on the golf course, I'm like, all right, I'm going to, I'm going to try and play this draw and <laughs> I ended up hitting up. I either end up hooking it or hitting it straight. And it just goes completely nowhere where I was, thought I was going to go. <laughs> was that, was it a similar thing in a spring training where you spend the first couple of weeks just throwing bullpen sessions and then you're just throwing, you know, simulated type of things where you know the guy's standing in the box, but he's not going to swing. And then all of a sudden now you're playing in games. Like, was that a huge difference? Were you, was it a situation where, okay, I'm throwing smoke here in the pen and now I'm going up and it, like, it's just a different feeling when I have a real live batter to face? Well, it's a different feeling. And in golf, you get one swing when you're on the course. Yeah. It's not like you get, you know, you can throw one ball, two balls, and then you can get back in the count and bring it back to two strikes. So you, you have a, a couple more uh, not a couple a few more chances to get back in the zone in golf it's like you get up to the tee box you shoot once and that's it that's your shot you're talking about it's it called goes. a have you not heard of a mulligan oh man yeah you get I, one I, per hole, hole. Yeah. right yeah absolutely <laughs> I mean, i've got different names for mulligan for or some, two over reason, or once again uh, yeah <laughs> for, for for some reason uh ricky player b sometimes is much better than ricky player a right <laughs> <laughs> so Ricky, you said you, about the perspective of knowing, you know, how long, you know, that your career is not going to last forever. But when you're in that zone, say, you know, here we are in 2009, 2010, going to that all-star year in 2011. I mean, things are going so well for you. Do you does it even cross your mind during those first three years that, hey, uh, I should enjoy it now because if I get five years out of this, I'm lucky? Or is it something you really don't think about till later in your career? No, I wasn't thinking about it at all. Um, you know, you're thinking like, like, not that the all-star, the all-star thing was awesome, but I wasn't thinking like, oh, this is going to happen again. I said, told myself when I was there, I was like, I'm going to enjoy this one because this might be the only time I ever make it. But 
uh, obviously, you know, when you sign an extension, you're you're hoping that you know you're gonna end end there and that extension, and hoping for even a longer tenure there because you know I felt like um, like a Toronto Blue Jay. I felt like Canadian. You know, I mm-hmm. felt like the way that the, the fans embraced me and everything. I was like, man, this is where I started. This is where I would love to end. And um, obviously, I was thinking more like you know, hopefully, you know. When I'm 34, 35, I'm still here and, and I've had a long, uh, healthy career. And obviously it didn't work out like that. I mean, it's just, it's part of the game. It's part of what happens. Um, you know, things sometimes don't have the, the happy endings that you want them to have. So you, you kind of deal with that and you live with it. And, you know, but uh, I'm still grateful for, for everything that happened there and, and the relationships that I was able to make. I mean, my wife is from there. Um so so yeah i mean in the end it's it was it was all a blessing and uh you know there's no there was there there isn't and there was never bad blood or anything like that i mean it, i i when i get asked to go do events over there it's there's no hesitation out of me you know i i get up there as many times as i can i just love going up there uh mingling with fans i'm sure that's going to change now with all the events going on uh but you know i think that's what made it special you know being able to 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 go back and 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 see the fans and how much they love you and 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 just how much they appreciated you the little time that I got to spend there. So, when you get into that twenty, I guess near the end of the twenty eleven season, right? Um, mm-hmm. you, had, you had a great year. Then you got off to that great start in two thousand twelve, and then yeah. things started to kind of fall for you there. Is there uh-huh. a time during either that season or the off season or some point in your life where not not publicly, not verbally, but just somewhere in the recesses of your brain, you start thinking, okay, so I, as much as I want my career to go forever, it's probably not going to last forever. Do you start thinking about what happens after baseball? Like, when does that first enter your brain? Oh, no, I wasn't even thinking about that at all. I was thinking, like, more like I need to get healthy again and, and, and be back on top and be the pitcher that I know I can be. And um, I was never really thinking of life after baseball at that point, because um, even when I got released, uh, I mean, I had that bad year in 12 and then uh, came back a little bit in 13 and then still made it all the way through 14 and 15 and 15. I got released and then the Giants signed me right away. And, you know, um, at that time when the Giants signed me, I was like, OK, I'm going to I'm going to give everything I got to this organization. And, and I know my body just wasn't functioning well. But I was still out there, you know, rehabbing and doing everything I could. And, and more than anything, talking to the younger guys in that organization and, and trying to make sure that, you know, any questions they had for me, uh, I was able to answer them. And um, um, especially going into like a, you know, a winning organization at the time, you know, they, they were coming off like three World Series championships. And, and you walk into that clubhouse and, you know, you see you know, the Buster Posey's, the Madison Bumgarner's, the Hunter Pence's. And it's, it's, it was crazy. You know, to me, I was like, whoa, this is, this is, this is crazy because you're seeing these guys and the way they go about it. And, you know, they don't think playoffs they were they were thinking like more like uh, imagine yourself uh, in that parade. And I was like, wow, you know, and then you get a leader like Bruce Bochy, you know, talking, uh, hyping everyone up. It, it, it was, it was a cool, uh, experience for me after i got released and going there and spending one camp with them and i wish i would have like i said i wish i would have been healthy 
healthier to been able to to get up there and, and, and be part of that, that team in the big leagues. But it didn't work out. And, you know, still at that point, I wasn't thinking at life after baseball. I was more like, all right, I know I can do this. And, you know, part of it is being stubborn, too. You know, you, yeah. you don't know anything else. And, you know, and then I go to Mexico and that's another humbling experience. And I think right there when it hit me, you know, when I was like, okay, I was, I think I sat one day in the bullpen and um, it was a, it was funny because it was a clinching game in the playoffs there or to clinch a playoff spot or clinch first place or something like that. And I, uh, the game was going on and we were beating this team pretty bad and everyone got to pitch in that series and then I looked at, and except me and then another guy who had converted from being a shortstop to being a pitcher like pretty recent in his career so I looked around and I was like wow I'm the only one that didn't pitch and and this young kid hasn't pitched either and I looked around and I said you know what okay this is it I packed up my locker and I just left holy shit and I said this 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 you're allowed this. to curse now by the way <laughs> when, when the time feels right and and I honestly looked looked around and I was like this 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 tells me everything I need to that that, that it needs to tell me you know I just uh, obviously um, you know I was I was coming out of the bullpen which I wasn't used to um, it was just a different preparation a different mindset and uh, and I just to me I was like you know this this ain't me you know and 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 obviously there's other factors that go into playing Mexico you know I mean it was just. You know, stuff can get a little shady down there. And I was like, you know, there's not much communication. And I was like, you know what? What am I doing here? What am I doing here? So when you play, I played in TJ, which is borders with uh, San Diego. Mm-hmm. And I just packed my, my locker. Uh, I got a cab to to uh, to the to the border. I had a, my big bag and I just crossed the border, went to my San Diego apartment packed everything up and I said, all right, I'm just going to drive home. I got home like at, I don't know, two, three in the morning. And my, my wife was asleep. She had no idea because she had her phone off. So I, she didn't know anything about it. And she, she heard me come in and she was scared. And I was like, she's like, who is it? Like, it's me. I was like, it's me. And I was like, I think I'm done. And she's like, she just hugged me and she's like, well, let's go to bed. Let's talk tomorrow. And, and, so then I think that was it. That was, that's when it kind of hit me that I was like, you know what, maybe this game isn't for me anymore. And, and maybe it's passing me. And even then after that, I kind of sat on that decision for, for maybe a month or two. And then I tried to throw again and I felt good. And I tried out for some teams um, the following spring and, and I got zero offers. And I was like, okay, this is it. I'm done. And, and that was it. And, and, and I had no idea what was going to come next. Um, and I still don't, um, but I did know that I was going to pick up golf, so <laughs> I picked it up. <laughs> That's what I've been kind of addicted to now. Any thoughts of you know trying for the Champions League? I think you've got to be by the time you get to fifty. Well, you got time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't know about that. I mean, it's funny. Um, I've had guys from from Mexico that I played with over there, uh, they're, they're like, come on, get ready, get ready. We need a lefty. We need a lefty. Come on, come do it just one more time, one more time. So I was going to this facility um, here in, in Southern California where uh, where it's called 108 Performance. 
and uh, it's a very well-known facility where they work, you know, with you uh, with velocity, uh, working efficiently with your body. They, they really care about, um, you know, velocity, but also being efficient, like being throwing the ball the right way without getting hurt. And so I walk in as an intern to kind of learn the, the, the new age of baseball, the analytical side, learning how to read uh, the rap soto and all that stuff. So the guy, the, I was like, put me through the program. I want to do everything. I mean, I'm healthy. Like, I can do everything so that I know when I'm teaching it, I know what, what to look for. And so I get on the mound, and, and, and I start kind of playing catch, and they have a radar gun there. And I think my first time out, I'm like 88, 89, and the guy's like, dude, we can get you up to like 95, 96. And then the pandemic hit, and then oh, they, they had to shut down the 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 place so <laughs> i would never know if i could have got it up. i said if you guys get me up back to like 94 95 put it on paper i'll make a comeback and and and, and so the, this all this stuff hit and then it just didn't happen there is part one with former toronto blue jay ricky romero and there is a lot more to come in part two and uh we get we get an even heavier tom in part two with ricky romero yeah and we talk about life, more life after baseball, because really part one was mostly leading up to the end of his career. And we hear what happened after in part number two. And if someone would like to access part two, Tom, and become a member and help support the Out of the Park family, how would they go about doing that? Patreon.com slash Out of the Park. Please come on aboard. Join us. You know, it's a, you, can, you can choose, what, $3 a month, $5 a month. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, we've got a few members on there already. Once we get a few more, I, I think we're going to start doing some real fun giveaways. Absolutely. For and, of course, our friends from Ballistic Sports are going to be supplying us soon with one of their mm. great new games. Yep. Right? Oh, yeah. So I'm really looking forward to that. So uh, we want to thank our pals at Ballistic Sports, as always. Uh, we also want to thank Raj Sapaya for being part of the show, as he is each and every week. Thank you, Raj. Thank you, Raj. And more importantly, uh, well, I want to thank you, Tom. And I, and I will say this, Tom. That, yeah, I may be able to crush a burrito a lot more than you can, but it sure the hell smells like you've been eating a ton of refried beans lately. Thank God and you can't smell radio. Get out of here. There's Tom Forth on Barry Davis. Folks, thank you so much for making us a part of your week. You've been listening to Out of the Park with Barry Davis. Thanks for joining us. Get home safely and see you next time.